0: 1 Peter chapter 4. we will start a new section this morning. Um, as you know, we've been going through 1 Peter chapter 4 verse by verse and um, uh, in a very, I want to say, almost a granular way. And uh, the new section that we start today starts in verse 12. We, we ended off at what, verse 11 last week. And in this section, Peter wants to give his readers some instructions on how to respond to suffering or or to unjust suffering and how to respond to it in a godly way. Now we've seen passages like this before in this epistle and we've looked at them as well and this is sort of the last, I want to say, full passage that that, um, handles this subject of suffering unjustly in this epistle. Now if you've been following along, um, you would know that this is a major theme in this epistle of Peter because he wanted to give the believers instructions. And that's for a very specific reason. Uh, The believers that he was writing to were facing a time of terrible persecution. And it seems that this event was kicked off in earnest, or this persecution was kicked off in earnest um, by the great fire that swept through the city of Rome in the year 64 AD. Now you see the citizens of Rome knew that their emperor Nero really wanted to call it refurbish the city. You know, he, he kind of wanted to put his stamp on it you know, so that he has a legacy to carry on. People can say, look at the great buildings that Nero built. And he wanted to do that at all costs. And so it didn't really take a big stretch of the imagination to, for the people to think that, well, perhaps the emperor... Set fire to the city, and something that that actually helped this, call it a theory for now. <laughs> right? But something that helped this on were, was that they were actually Roman soldiers that stopped people that were trying to extinguish the fire, and then the Roman soldiers were also seen trying to set uh, alight more fires in the city as this thing swept on. And if I remember correctly, this fire swept through the city in nine days. It was a terrible event. Uh, the people that were affected lost everything. You know, stores bur- burned down, homes built down, religious sites burned down. And so the people were understandi- understandably very angry. As you can just imagine if something like that would happen to you. And with all this anger that was brewing against Nero, um, he had to find a way to redirect this anger away from himself. And of course, he found the Christians in that time to be the perfect scapegoat for this now you need to understand that Christianity was seen as just a sect of Judaism you know by the unbelievers in that time so that just means it's it's just a subsection they they believe a little bit something different almost like what you have with the Sadducees you know that they believe something different well that's how Christianity was seen now couple that with the fact that the, the resentment against Jews were really starting to grow in that time uh, amongst the pe- Roman people, it's really not hard to see that that would spill over to the Christians as well. You know, just this inherent resentment and hatred against the Christian people. The Christians were sl- slandered, they were hated because of what they believed and because of their religious practices. Uh, because they would not go down to the idol's temple anymore and worship there, you know, and join in with those riotous parties that normally went along with this idol worship. Um, and you also need to understand, and this is something that I explained in a previous lesson, is that idol worship was a very central part of the Roman culture of that time. It, it, was, it was critical. And so if you did not join in that, you were seen as anti-Roman. Because you would not assimilate, you know, you would not join in to that type of culture. The Christians' beliefs are threatened even to tear families apart. Because as you can imagine, you have one spouse in the marriage that believes on Christ and then another spouse that does not believe. Some of you have gone through that and might be going through that right now. And that, that puts a lot of stress on, stress, um, on a marriage. And so, Nero seized this opportunity he seized this negative sentiment against the christians and he started to blame them for the fire without giving any evidence he had no evidence for this and he didn't really need any evidence because in the minds of the people it was totally believable that christians would do something so evil they they, they just accepted it like that and so because of this uh, terrible terrible Violent persecution broke out against Christians. And as you may or may not know, Nero, of course, started off this persecution. He, he, physico- well, he ordered Christians to be killed by crucifixion. He used Christians as human tortures in his garden. If you can imagine such a thing, just to light up his parties. He allowed Christians to be sewn up in animal skins. And then he th- had them thrown to wild animals, you know, to get ripped to shreds and all, all sorts of horrible, horrible tortures and ways to die, you know. It it was evil. Let's just call it that. And it, and it was unjust. Because the Christians didn't do anything to deserve such treatment. And it looks like Peter wrote this letter either just before this persecution started or maybe just as it started. Uh, either way, but... Whether he wrote this before or during the persecution, it's clear that Christians needed some instruction on what to do about this situation. How do we react um, you know, to the suffering so unjustly? We honestly don't deserve this. And as you can think for yourself, if something like that were to happen to us, we would be confused. We wouldn't know what to do if we didn't know our Bible. Now, these days, we are seeing a rising hostility against Christians that speak out in defense of the gospel. We are seeing hostility against those Christians that would dare to even speak up against the sins that uh, that is culturally so acceptable. We're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing resentment rise or hostility rise against those that stand up and even just claim that God exists. <laughs> that is a crime in the eyes of the people, in the eyes of the unbelievers and and not only that we are seeing this hostility against Christians because we claim that the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ alone. It's not through the teachings of Buddha. It is not through Islam. It's not through Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever other religion or man-made system that there is. That's not a way that you can be made right with God. That's not what Christians claim. And to the world... That is simply not an acceptable thing to believe. They hate that. You see, it's because that's too exclusive. It's excluding a lot of people from being made right with God, you know, in air quotes. And the world doesn't like that. Christianity does exclude all the other ways that claim to be ways that people can be made right with God. All of them. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he claimed to be the only way, John 14, verse 6. The world wants us all to be inclusive. Whereas the statement that we just heard from Jesus, uh, Christianity is actually very exclusive. But Christianity, if you think about it, can be very inclusive. Inclusive. Well, that may sound strange, and, and it, it does sound contradictory because it is, but uh, <laughs> we read in Acts 17 verse 30, 30 sorry, that God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's inclusive. Everybody needs to repent. Alright, in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, Peter writes that the Lord is not willing, willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. So yes, that is an inclusive statement. Everybody needs to repent. But that, of course, also means that, well, it is exclusive in the sense that there's only one way to be made right with God. And everybody needs to go to Christ to be made right with God. But the world doesn't like that. They don't like that message. They hate that. And I think the reason for that is simple. It's because darkness hates the light. That's it. You know, when John wrote about the Word being made flesh there in John chapter 1, he said in verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So the darkness doesn't understand or, and it doesn't like the light. Because the light exposes the things that are done in darkness. We read in John chapter 3 verse 19 that Jesus said, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You see, when the light shines onto those deeds that are done in darkness, well, then it is plain to see those deeds for what they are evil, sinful. And everyone likes to think that they are inherently good. Don't we? You know, we, <laughs> all right? we. We like to think that. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says that most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. <laughs> Everybody likes to claim that. And so when the light shines on the dark hearts of men, they get offended. They get angry. And they become hostile towards the source of the light. Because they don't want the light to expose their darkness. And so it becomes easier to start to see why the world would hate the Lord and, and his followers. It's because they hate the light. That's it. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 14, Ye, that's you, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, you know, put it under a bucket but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You know, a few years ago, people would have struggled to understand that analogy, but now with load shedding, we get that, right? (laughs) You need to put the candle up high, (laughs) all right? But you see, the, the, the more that Christians would let their light shine in this world, well, the more the darkness will try and push back and try to snuff out that light. And so as we come to our text for today that starts there in verse 12, we, we, need, we need to pay attention to passages like this one um, so, th- so that we will be able to endure this hostility that the world may bring in against us and that is currently directed against believers today and even the hostility that we might see in the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't, we don't know what, what form this hostility will take in the future. So we need to be ready for that so that we don't get caught off guard. And that's the reason why it's so helpful to go through these things beforehand, or maybe some of you are facing some hostility and can get some help from this. So let's read verse 12. We'll just read this entire text and then we'll go verse by verse. Verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come, the judgment must begin at at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, well, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So let's go verse by verse, um, starting there in verse 12. We'll probably, well, we won't won't go through this entire passage today. Look at verse 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, Peter starts this section of, I think, in a very compassionate way. Um, now that's very fitting considering that the previous passage that we just finished off uh, in, in verse 11 talks about fervently loving each other, you know, and chasing after that love as, as, as we went through that. But here we are seeing a pastor that genuinely cares for the believers that he's writing to. He wants to encourage them in this time of trials and, and this horrible persecution that I, that I mentioned to you. And he wants them to know that they are not alone. You know, God has not forsaken them. That's why he's writing to them. You know, when people go through intense suffering like these people, that they can be tempted to start to think, well, where's God? Doesn't he care about me anymore? I mean, if you think about this, you would be so confused if the entire world will just suddenly turn against you and sometimes even in violent ways simply because you believe in Christ and you follow Him, you obey Him. That would be terrible. Many people think that once you are a child of God, well, your life will just be full of blessings and happiness and that you will just enjoy absolute protection against any sort of harm or sickness or bad things. And that's simply not true, folks. Life doesn't all of a sudden just become all sunshine and roses as soon as you're a child of God? Uh, You know, I remember visiting somebody about nine or ten years ago um, that tried to convince me while we were there that when you believe in Christ, well, you will never be sick again and you will be rich. You should be rich. And he basically tried to paint this picture that Jesus took all of the sufferings in this world on him And because he did that, well, now we don't have to take that. So Jesus took the sickness and the poverty and all of that on him so that we can have the opposite. Perfect health and riches and all of that. (laughs) And I remember just sitting there in his house as he was telling me this, and I I looked around, (laughs) and I failed to see the riches that he was talking about. I won't go into the details of that, but it just wasn't there. If I remember correctly... He and his wife were also supported financially by either his mother or his uh, in-laws or something like that. But there was something like that going on as well. But I was struck at how blind he was to his own situation in, comparis- in comparison to what he actually believed in. But that's the point here, folks. We are, we are not guaranteed a life of luxury, a life of perfect health and perfect happiness if we are in Christ. We are not that's not one of the promises at all. At least not while we are still in the flesh, right? Things change when we get into the, you know, when the rapture happens. We get our new glorified bodies and all of that. But that's not the point here. Instead, as Peter says, that we need to expect trials. We need to expect suffering to happen. That, um, that's why he says that we should not think that it is a strange thing if that were to happen to us. It's not a, a weird thing. It's actually quite natural. If you expect the Christian life to only be easy, with no trials or no difficulties at all, well, you are going to get very troubled when those trials and troubles start to hit you. Because they will at some point. Jesus said in John 15 verse 18, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Paul put this in a different way in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, where he wrote, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you are going to live a godly life in this world, you will suffer persecution in some form. You will get that. And many of you uh, have received that already. The Apostle John wrote a similar thing as Peter in 1 John 3, verse 13, where he said, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Okay? You see, a, a living a godly life that is unashamed of the Lord and unashamed of the truth of the word and of the truth of the gospel will attract some hostility. It just will. Because darkness cannot stand the light. It hates it. And so Peter says, don't be surprised when persecution comes your way because it is not, as he says, there, a strange thing for that to happen. You need to expect it and you need to be ready for it because it will come. Now, notice that the Bible does not tell us to go out of our way to look for persecution and to ask for trials. You know, there are people that think that they need to go out and, you know, pick a fight, you know, <laughs> go out of the way to try to be offensive to unbelievers and, and then if they get attacked because of that, they say, well, I've been persecuted for the name of Christ. Well, no. <laughs> if you go about it that way, well, you're not being unjustly persecuted, okay? Uh, you are only getting what you were asking for. That, that's it. And that's not called being a Christian. It's called being a jerk. It's, it's foolish. That's what it is. Now, I don't want to bore you with examples of what people have done, you know, you can, you can find them on your own time. I just don't find stories like that edifying at all, you know, quite the opposite. Um, but I did want to point out that there is difference uh, between being on the receiving end of hostility because of speaking the truth in love and living according to the word of God on the one hand, and on the other hand, insulting people in various ways in the name of God in order to get some sort of reaction. That's a world of difference between them. Um, And Peter addresses that actually in verse 15 when he says there that we should not suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. That that includes that. It's not to poke your nose where it shouldn't be. And so Peter says don't be surprised and and don't be discouraged when trials come your way. Instead in verse 13 he says, But rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that... When his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, that may sound strange to somebody to hear that we should be rejoicing when we are suffering unjustly for the name of Christ. But here, as well as in other places, we are instructed, in fact, to rejoice. And we've seen that before in this epistle, and there are other passages like this as well. But this does not mean, folks, that we walk around with a fake smile on our face, and act as if, well, everything is just fine, you know, even though in the background you're going through some horrible stuff. Um, it's, it's fine to acknowledge suffering for the name of Christ. In fact, that's what, Pe- what Peter is actually doing here. He's acknowledging that, that it happens. But the rejoicing should come because we can count it as an honor to suffer in the same way as Jesus did. To be partakers of the suffering of Christ. That is an honor by suffering for doing what is right. Keep your place here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Just see what Jesus said about this. This is on, uh, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5. I'm showing you this so that you can see that this is not something that Peter made up, all right? Uh, And it's not something new that that he's teaching here. Matthew 5, verse 10. He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That means unjustly persecuted, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There Jesus tells us to rejoice. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. It's a similar sermon. It's a sermon on the plain. Uh, Luke chapter 6. I just want to show you this again. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Just waiting for everybody to get that. Luke 6, verse 22. Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in, in that day, and leap for joy. <laughs> Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So according to Jesus, we can rejoice for two reasons. The first reason is, well, there's a great reward waiting for you in heaven if you're being persecuted for his name's sake. The second reason is because you are joining the company of the prophets who were also persecuted for preaching the word of God regardless of what the people around them thought about it. They just stayed faithful in preaching and they were persecuted for that. And I think that's some great company to be in, right? All the great prophets. Now, Peter takes this a little further. You can come back to 1 Peter 4. He takes this a little further. And he puts us in the company of Jesus himself. Um, Where's that? That's verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So as one commentator put it, I'll just quote it for you. He said, We have fellowship with Christ's sufferings when we suffer for his name's sake. When the hatred that struck him strikes us because of him. I think that's well put. The hatred that struck him then turns around because Jesus is not here right now, so it strikes us because we are following him. That's what happens. Remember that Jesus said that the world will hate us, John 15, okay? Because it hated him first. And that is how we partake in the sufferings of Christ. If we suffer for His name's sake. It is not some strange thing, as Peter says here, when that happens. But it is actually quite natural. And it is to be expected. You should expect the suffering to happen. And so in in that day when Jesus' glory will be revealed, as Peter says here, for everybody to see. Which is, of course, the day of His return. um, We can be glad also, as Peter says here, with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. So... Think about this, the the rejoicing in the sufferings that you have right now is a joy that is looking forward to that day when Christ is going to return and when His glory will be revealed. And you can know that in that day you are going to rejoice even more. (laughs) So that is a reason to rejoice in your sufferings. And I think it only makes sense that that those who had a bigger part in Jesus' sufferings will rejoice more on that day when Jesus returns. Paul wrote in uh, Romans 8 verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present, present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now, to be reproached for the name of Christ is not referring to being insulted or hated, or hated simply because of the name, you know, Christ. Okay? The name of Christ refers to who Christ is, to what he said, to, to what he did. That is the name of Christ that he's talking about here. It is the name that offends unbelievers. It is the light that shines in the darkness. And it is this name towards which this hostility is being aimed. And Jesus is not here, so, well, let's aim it to his followers. Now, of course, Peter was very familiar with this kind of reproach for the name of Christ. You know, in Acts chapter 4, we're not going to turn there today simply because of time. But we read how he and John were brought in uh, before the high priest and several other people because they healed the lame man that was sitting in front of the temple. Now this guy, it, it seems that he was lame for 40 years, you know, his entire life, more than 40 years actually. And Peter and John came along and they healed, healed him through the power of the Lord. And so the high priest and the people there asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now Peter gave his answer loud and clear. Right, you can go ahead and read that. But he gave them a sermon and he explained to them how they... And I think he pointed his finger, you know, how they killed the Messiah. And then just to drive his point home, he said there in, in Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven um, given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. That's the exclusivity of the gospel. So, so we let them know that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And at the end, they just came off with a warning. You know, they, they warned the apostles not to keep on speaking in this name, which they of course continued to do anyway. <laughs> All right? Because they would rather obey God than man. All right? In the next chapter, we find a similar thing happening. After, and that's in Acts chapter 5. After the apostles healed people, and they, they preached to the people at the temple, the high priest and the Sadducees came, and they They brought them, or had them brought in before them, and questioned them again. And so they asked, didn't we tell you in chapter 4 to stop speaking in the name of Christ? Okay. Um, The apostles replied that they they would rather obey God than men, uh, which is a great answer, I think, you know. And that's a great answer for any situation, is rather obey God than man. But once again, they told the high priest and his men that, well, they were responsible for killing Jesus for killing their Messiah that came to save them. And at this point, they just wanted to kill the apostles and just be done with this. You know, let's just stop this movement right now in tracks. Um Some things happened there, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this in English. Gamaliel? Gamaliel? Is that the right Gamaliel? Gamaliel? Well, he stood up and he, he uh, spoke some sense to the situation. And um, then in Acts chapter 5 verse 41, well, sorry, before this verse, They were warned once again to stop speaking in the name of Christ and they were beaten, you know, before they were sent off. And then in Acts 5 verse 41 we read that they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing (laughs) that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter practiced what he preached, right? He's not just telling us to rejoice in suffering. He did that. He went through that. He knows what it's about. They rejoiced, even though they were unjustly beaten. And then they continued preaching in the name of Christ anyway. (laughs) They would rather obey God. You know, they were happy to be reproached for the name of Christ. And the reason for this is in the second half of verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. He said, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. The Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. you. See, all the hatred, all the hostility, and all the violence that the world may bring against Christians cannot take away from the fact that the Lord blesses his children. It, it can't. They can't do anything to that. And especially in these circumstances, you know. Uh, then, as he says here, the Holy Spirit rests on them. Now you need to know, and uh, I believe most of you know this, that if you are saved, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. It's not like he takes a break and leaves, you know, and then comes back. There's nothing like that. He's in you if you are saved. All right? But when a believer is suffering for the name of Christ, it seems that the Holy Spirit gives that believer some special grace in that moment so that they can endure that suffering in a godly way. And I think a great example of this is what we see happening with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. He's the first recorded martyr of, of Christianity. And he preached there to the high priest and, and, and the council that were questioning him. And as he was preaching, the Bible says that they saw his face as if they had been the face of an angel. So what does that look like? I think total peace. No fear at all. He wasn't scared of them at all. He wasn't worried at all. His face was like the face of an angel. And as uh, Stephen then finished his sermon, you can go read that sermon as well. um, But as he finished that, um, and the high priest and the council got even more and more angry because of his preaching and the stuff he was saying and telling them once again, well, you killed (laughs) the Messiah. Um... He was just looking up, the Bible says, steadfastly to heaven. He looked up steadfastly. And the Lord then at that moment so graciously opened up heaven for him so that he can see the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. That's amazing grace. That is amazing grace in that moment. And so Stephen said, he told them what he's seeing. He says, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And so these guys got angry, so angry. They dragged him out of the city and they started to stone him. Now, I'll I'll let you read up on how stoning works, but I mean, it's easy. Get a big rock, throw it at the guy. That's basically what they did. But as they were doing that, before he died, Stephen kneeled down, And he prayed that the Lord would not charge this murder, this sin, against the accounts of those people that were killing him. That's the same thing Jesus did on the cross, isn't it? That is amazing, folks. That is amazing. And that is what it looks like when the Spirit of God rests on you, when you are suffering unjustly and being unjustly persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's what it looks like. And if any, any of us would one day, you know, be in that privileged position to go through something of that, that's what's going to happen. The Spirit of God will rest on you, and you will get some form of just amazing, extra special grace in that moment. That's amazing. Now, just this last part of verse 14, I think we're running out of time, but um, let's just read this entire verse again. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of god resteth upon you on their part he is evil spoken of but on your part he is glorified now think about this we just spoke about the situation of stephen so on the part of the high priest and the council and everybody that was there that stoned him god uh, jesus was even evil spoken of okay on their part from their side uh, of this situation but on the other side of the situation you have Stephen there kneeling and uh, you know dying for the name of Christ but on his side God is being glorified Jesus is being glorified because of the way that he's dying and going through the suffering that's just uh, what what Peter means there now we've still got a lot of uh, verses to go to get through this passage so we'll do that next time Lord willing Um, but I hope this helps and I hope this helps to prepare all of us Uh, For whatever may come. It may not be as drastic as being stoned, you know, for the name of Christ. Okay? It may come in some other form. Some of you may be experiencing that, or or may have experienced that this week. But know that all who will live godly, you know, will be persecuted. And we are called to live godly. So expect this. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away by how much your word gives us. And, 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 and it's really more than enough to prepare us for anything in life. Even if suffering were to come our way, in, in whatever way, Lord, you've, you've given us an answer for that. You've given us a way to go through that. And you've given us your spirit to guide us um, through, through anything in life. and. and Thank you for that, Lord. I, I don't think thank you is <laughs> one thank you is good enough. I don't think so. Um, we can never stop singing your praises. We can no, never stop thanking you for what you've done for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we ask that you will please help those that, are, that might be going through some tough times because of their faith, Lord. Um, that you will please strengthen them and um, give them that extra special grace, Lord, through your Spirit. And we thank you that we, can, uh, that we know that you will do that, Lord, because you've said so, and we've seen that in your word today. We thank you for all your promises and for all your care for your, and for your grace, Lord. Please be with us the rest of this day, Lord, and as we are looking forward to the main service as well. We ask that you will please speak to every one of us, Lord, and may your name be glorified in this place today. Amen.